This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, so now we have the time of scripture reading. It will be taken from Matthew 28. You can open up your Bible so you can refer to the screen above. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. When the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money just as and as they did they were as they and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. This is the word of God. Okay, good morning, everybody. Uh, It's really good to have all of you here this Sunday on the Mission Sunday. Uh, We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28 today. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you, we just pray that... um, This Sunday will be a a very powerful reminder to us about why it's so important for us in our own lives to be sharing the good news of Jesus and also to be desiring in our hearts uh, with very strong desire to want to see the gospel of your son, the good news of salvation, to go out to all the nations. And we pray that uh, you will help us through the Holy Spirit uh, to be reminded of these truths once again. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so we live in a world which uh, I guess is characterized by being very pluralistic. Okay, so for those of you, this might be a very, very big word. You might be asking yourself, what is the meaning of pluralistic? Well, the idea is uh, plural means more than one, right? And singular is one. So we live in a world where there are many, many different sorts of beliefs and many different sorts of truths. And uh, as the world becomes more and more multicultural, that's just the reality. But I think 
pluralism in the way that we live in the modern society is not just acknowledging that there are many different things that people believe or many different truths that people espouse to, but as you can see from this definition here, which I got from the internet, it's very, it, it actually encompasses the idea of accepting uh, the very different truths and beliefs that people hold in the world and society around us. So it used to be that uh, you, know, you have your truths, uh, you have your beliefs, I have my truths and my beliefs, but we agree to disagree. But when you live in the modern society now, to be pluralistic means that I have to actually accept that your truth is as equally true as my truth. Uh, your belief is as equally true as my belief. And that actually makes it very difficult for us to evangelize or to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if I share the good news of Jesus Christ with you, then in a way I'm actually saying that what you believe and what you believe to be true is actually not so true after all. And so that becomes very rude and offensive to people. But we don't just live in a pluralistic world, but we also live in a world which is very tolerant, right? We're supposed to live in tolerance of one another. And again, the idea of tolerance here is the idea of accepting, as you can see here, accepting the diversity in the world, including ideas, truths, and beliefs. So it used to be in the past that tolerance was the idea of where uh, I believe in something, uh, I disagree what you believe, but uh, we agree to disagree, and I support your right to say what you, you, know, you, you, you believe in. But now in the world that we live in, this idea of tolerance actually has changed a lot because tolerance now means that I have to accept uh, all other of uh, what other people believe and all the other truths that are out there. So in many ways, uh, the foundation of modern society is both these two things, uh, toleration and pluralism. But that makes it very hard for us as Christians today, especially as we come to Missions Week today, because we are actually told in the Bible, as we've been reading today in Matthew chapter 28, to share the good news of Jesus. But by sharing the good news of Jesus, it actually makes us seem like we're very intolerant. So the question I want to begin with today is, why then should we evangelize people? Why then should we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people? Why then should we tell Jesus, the good news of Jesus to people? When, when we open our mouths and we share the truth about Jesus, people find us intolerant in modern society. Well, today as we look at Matthew chapter 28, we need to look at the background and the context of what's happening here. So in Matthew chapter 27, uh, we were told of the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, the death of Jesus was witnessed by hundreds, possibly thousands of people, and it was supervised by professional Roman soldiers. Now, these Roman soldiers were not amateurs, right? They were not uh, people who uh, were like, you know, just doing something on a part-time basis. They were professionals in terms of delivering death. And for those soldiers who were in charge of the crucifixion, they would have made sure that Jesus died on the cross because that's their one sole responsibility. That's their one job. And they were very good at it to make sure that people who were meant to die on the cross died on the cross, uh, even to the point of spearing them on the side or breaking their legs to make sure that they were dead. And so by Friday night, Jesus had died on the cross. It was witnessed by many people. It was supervised by these professional Roman soldiers and he was dead. After that, uh, Jesus was buried in a tomb. And so Pilate instructed that there were to be a guard 
and the guard was meant to go to make the tomb of Jesus as secure as they knew how. And they were to make a seal or put a seal over the stone and post a guard over the tomb of Jesus Christ. Now again, these were not the part-time security guards, you know, uh, the old uncles or something that you see, you know, outside of condominiums or something. These were professional soldiers. Many people feel that the guard that uh, Pontius Pilate sent uh, were not uh, like uh, uh, these uh, auxiliary, auxiliary soldiers, but actually professional Roman soldiers. And these soldiers here would have guarded the tomb of Jesus. And so by Friday night, uh, Jesus was dead. Jesus was buried in a tomb. And so these are the truths that we believe in as Christians, right? We subscribe to these truths. We endorse these truths. These are truths that we uh, we affirm when we come to our communion every Sunday, right? Jesus died on the cross and he was buried. And so now we come to Matthew chapter 28. And in Matthew chapter 28, we are then told the really, really surprising uh, events of what happened on the Sunday. Okay, so it's Friday night, Jesus died. Friday night, Jesus was buried. And then Sunday morning, these supernatural events happened. So after the Sabbath, which was a Saturday, at dawn on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And so here we see that this was not some normal earthquake which uh, we experienced, but this was a supernatural event. And this supernatural event happened because the angel came to go to the tomb to roll back the stone. Now, for those of us who are not familiar, and I'm sure many of us are not, uh, the, the, the tombs in the Middle East were like this. So the tomb was like something carved out of a rock, and then you'd have uh, this stone, right where I am right now, okay, this, this round stone, which would be rolled downwards uh, to seal the tomb. Okay, so the stone itself rolls downwards, following the force of gravity to lock the tomb up. You can see how big the stone is here in this next picture, right? All right, so the stone rolls down into the groove and it seals the tomb. And so it's a bit like, uh, if you can think of it, like, you know, like a Ziploc tie. You know, for those of you who have used Ziploc ties before, you know those Ziplocs? It's only meant to be used once, right? It's like you can't use the Ziploc over and over again, right? Because once you tie the Ziploc, it's like you can't untie it again. And that's the way the tomb is designed. And so here we have this huge earthquake uh, as part of a supernatural event that the angel came to roll the, the stone sealing the tomb up against gravity back to where it came from. And that's what happened then. Now, uh, there was a, many years ago, there was a book written by this uh, journalist called Who Moved the Stone uh, by this guy, Frank Morrison. You can still buy this book in the bookshops in Singapore or online. And he was a journalist who was not a believer in Jesus Christ. He was an atheist. And so he started by writing a book to disprove uh, Jesus Christ. But as he investigated the... The, the last days of Jesus' life, he was, he was actually converted to become a Christian. And he ended up writing this book instead, Who Moved the Stone? And for him, the moving of the stone was really important because 
who moved the stone, right? Because the stone is meant to be locked there. Uh, you know, was it the disciples? Couldn't be the disciples because the disciples had all abandoned Jesus by the time he died. They had unfriended him from their Facebook. You know, if it was the Rome, uh, the Jewish authorities, why would they do so? You know, if they wanted to steal the body, why couldn't they show the body of Jesus at some later point? So he was convinced that some supernatural event had happened to move the stone. And so who moved the stone? It wasn't the disciples. It wasn't the Roman soldiers. It wasn't the Jewish priests. It was the angel. Now, I always thought when I was growing up that, uh, you know, the angel moved the stone so that Jesus could leave the tomb, right? But actually not. Uh, that's actually what happens here because the angel moves the stone not so that Jesus could escape the tomb because Jesus, we already know, can supernaturally move uh, through physical objects when it, in his resurrected body. But the angel moved the stone as a testimony to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And through the testimony to Mary and the other Mary is a testimony to us and to you that Jesus rose from the dead. But that's not the only testimony we get in this account in Matthew chapter 28. It goes on to say, uh, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you, that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And so we see here, in verse 6, uh, the reason why the stone was moved was not so Jesus could escape the tomb, but the stone was moved so that it would be a testimony to the empty tomb. But the testimony of the empty tomb was not sufficient in God's eyes, right? God supernaturally provided the testimony of the angel. And what did the angel say? He is not here. He has risen just as he said. So three things that the angel said, right? And here, it gives us a definitive uh, testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. You know, people could always say, oh, you know, Mary and uh, the other Mary, they went to the wrong tomb. Or, you know, for some reason, the body was stolen. But the angel leaves us without a doubt. Jesus was not there. Why? because he has resurrected just as he had promised. And so three times earlier in the book of Matthew, Jesus had told his disciples that on the third day, he would be raised to life. So in Matthew chapter 16, when Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus began to explain to his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of law, and he must be killed, but on the third day, be raised to life. And again, in Matthew chapter 17, and in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus again repeats about how he's going to die in Jerusalem, but on the third day, he will be raised to life. And so the testimony of the angel tells us that Jesus 
rose from the dead. And this we are to read together with the empty tomb. But it's not just that we have the testimony of the empty tomb, testimony of the angel, but we also have the testimony of the physical resurrection of Jesus himself. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now here we have had the testimony of the empty tomb, the testimony of the angel, and now we have the testimony of the physical resurrection of Jesus. So Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they saw Jesus, they heard Jesus, and they touched Jesus. Now here is, you know, is, is the reality of the resurrected Jesus in all its forms, right? It's like we live in a world where we demand evidence, right? We want scientific evidence. You know, scientific evidence is where you can repeat an experiment over and over again. We demand truth in eyewitness testimony, eyewitness testimony in a court of law or in a newspaper report. And so here we see that Mary Magdalene, as well as the other Mary, they not just had eyewitness testimony, they had ear witness testimony, that physical touch testimony to see, to say that this was Jesus Christ. It's not as if they forced themselves to concentrate very, very hard to see the resurrected Christ and to hear the resurrected Christ and to touch him. They really met the resurrected Christ. So I remember telling you this illustration many years ago about how uh, I believe, even though I wasn't alive, that the Japanese invaded Malaysia and Singapore, right? And part of the reason was because my grandmother was pregnant with my mother and traveling from Singapore to Ipoh during the war years. And when she was on the train, she was starving, she was very hungry, and a Japanese soldier gave her some of his rice. Now, my grandmother didn't have to force herself to really, really concentrate really hard to imagine a Japanese soldier and to imagine her train journey or imagine her hunger or imagine the rice. This is what she experienced. And so in the very same way, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they experienced and they saw and they heard and they touched Jesus. And it's through their testimony that we know that Jesus has risen. And so as Christians, we believe these three testimonies, the empty tomb, the angel, and Jesus, give us the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. So we believe that Jesus died, yes. We believe the other truth that Jesus rose, yes. Right. So what happens after that? There's a logic in the Bible. There's a logic in the Gospel of Matthew. There's a logic in Matthew chapter 28. And so what happens next? Well, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee as they were instructed by Jesus to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So here, when the 
11 disciples saw the real resurrected Jesus, what did they do? They worshipped him. Now this word worship is a very, very important word in Matthew chapter 28. When the 11 disciples saw Jesus, what did they do? They worshipped him. When Mary and the other Mary saw Jesus, what did they do? They worshipped him. Now, these were Jewish people. Okay, These are all Jewish people. And for Jewish people, worship is a very sacred word. Right? It's a very sacred word. The word worship as a verb can only be associated with God as a noun. Right? You cannot worship anything else but God and divinity. And so when you look at this word worship in the Bible, it's always associated with worshipping, kneeling, paying homage, reverence, always linked to the idea of worshipping God, divinity. And that's why when you see it used in the Bible, if you see it used in Luke chapter 4, right, Jesus quotes the Old Testament and says, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. In the book of Revelation chapter 7, it talks about how the angels and all the, the, the elders and living creatures, they fall down in their face in reverence and worship God. And therefore, in other parts of the Bible, when you see people like Paul and Barnabas, when they are mistakenly worshipped by the crowd, right? what do they do? They tear their clothes and they shout, no, stop worshipping us because we are only human. Or even in Revelation 22, uh, when John falls down and worships the angel, the angel himself says, don't do it. Right? I'm a fellow servant of you with your brothers, the prophets, and all who keep the words of this book. So when the, uh, the women, Mary and Magdalene and Mary, as well as 11 disciples, when they worship Jesus, they are worshiping him as Lord and as God. And that's why Jesus' response is really interesting here, right? Uh, because we believe, as they believe, that Jesus is truly worth worshipping, right? He's being worshipped as Lord and as God. And look at Jesus' response, okay? Verse 18, when they worshipped him, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, this is a huge difference from Paul and Barnabas who said, oh, don't worship me, right? You know, they start tearing their clothes, don't worship me. There, you know, Jesus' response is different from the angels in heaven and says, don't worship me. He says, worshiping me is the right and appropriate and it is the most uh, wonderful thing to do because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He acknowledges that he is Lord and God. In fact, this quote here in verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, uh, shows that Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7. Because in Daniel chapter 7, it says, uh, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming to the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so what we see here is 
there is this logic which comes through, right? Where Jesus died, Jesus rose, and in his resurrection, he now goes to God and receives all authority in heaven and on earth. He is now receiving his full divinity. And then in verse 19, he then instructs the disciples in verse 19, therefore, therefore because I was dead, therefore because I'm now alive, therefore because I've now risen to receive my, my true identity as God and Lord, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And so here we see, I think, the logic of the book of Matthew and the book, especially in Matthew chapter 27 and 28. If we believe that Jesus died, if we believe that Jesus rose, if we believe, therefore, that he should be worshipped as Lord and God, then the logic must be, therefore, we must go and make disciples of all nations. We must go and evangelize. We must go and tell the truth of Jesus. Now, many years ago, uh, when we were part of the Presbyterian denomination, we used to have this thing called Presbyterian Sunday. And uh, we would have a guest speaker who would be assigned to us to preach at our church. And I remember many years ago, there was a guest speaker who came and spoke on Matthew chapter 28. And I thought, that's great. But I was really sad because at the end of the sermon, he ended at verse 18. He spoke about the resurrection of Jesus. And he spoke about the importance of worshipping Jesus. But I felt that he missed something very important, which was not finishing the logic of Matthew 28, which was the resurrection of Jesus leads to the worship of Jesus as Lord and God. And the call in verse uh, 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So the challenge I want to ask you today, and uh, this is where I really want you to engage with what I'm saying is, do you believe in the diagram in front of you? Right? Do you believe that Jesus died? Do you believe that Jesus rose? Do you then believe that Jesus should be worshipped as Lord and as God? If those three things are true, then therefore you must go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I want you to look at this uh, other diagram. Uh, do you, are you brave? And go and share the good news of Jesus with people around you? Uh, do you pray for people by name and pray for opportunities to share the good news of, G uh, of Jesus Christ and pray for missions? Or uh, do you feel in your own living as you reflect on your own life, uh, there is no need to share the gospel? So coming back to the first question, uh, think back to your own life. In your life, how many times have you shared the good news of Jesus with people around you? Uh, in the last few years, I know, how many times have you shared the good news of Jesus with people around you? In your own prayer time, when have you prayed and named people before God 
and asked for the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ or prayed for countries for missions? Or is your attitude basically that there is no really no need to share the gospel? It's very sad because I remember my father one day came back from his church. It was a very big church in Singapore. And they had uh, organized a talk by a very prominent man, businessman in Singapore. And my dad was telling me that this businessman had said that, uh, you know, he had worked and he was very prominent in the company. And he'd worked and probably he had, you know, met and interacted with hundreds, if not maybe even thousands of people in his whole working life. But he shared that he had never shared the gospel with even one of them. He never prayed for any of them to be saved. But instead, he wanted to give glory to God by his work. Now, I want to say that uh, what I told my dad was that was wrong, wrong, wrong. Because as we've read in this passage, we don't give glory to God with our work, but rather we go and we make disciples of people, we share the good news of Jesus, we open our mouths to, to share and talk about Jesus' death and resurrection and worshipping Him as Lord and God. Now, I think that there's an even bigger problem if you are here in this last column uh, above me, right, where you feel there's no need to share the gospel and you don't pray for people. So, uh, recently I was reading this book uh, called Bad Religion by this guy who is commentating on uh, American religion. And he says that the problem in America is not that uh, there is too much religion or too little, but there is a lot of bad religion in America where traditional Christianity is dying, but there's a lot of pseudo-Christianities. And what he says was, one of the earliest signs that there was something wrong with Christianity in America was where uh, a lot of these liberal churches, liberal pastors, even liberal theologians and theological colleges began to turn their back on evangelism, missions, sharing the gospel, and seeing the need to save people in Jesus Christ. And what he actually said was, uh, there was this phrase that really caught my eye, which he said there's, there was a conviction deficit. Okay, conviction deficit. So what is conviction? A conviction is something that you firmly hold on to, a belief that you really believe in. And what is deficit? Deficit is where there is a shortage or an undersupply or a deficiency. And so he said that for many Christians and many churches, uh, even theological uh, lecturers, he said there was a conviction deficit. That means that what they believed in there was a deficiency. And I think that that was really true because what happens here is that when you begin to have a conviction deficit, he said, he said the unwillingness to evangelize, the unwillingness to have a desire to see people saved actually flows from a conviction deficit of your worship and belief that Jesus truly is Lord and God a conviction deficit that Jesus really rose from the dead, a conviction deficit that Jesus really died. And what happens is over time, those same pastors, same churches, same theological colleges who turn their back on 
evangelism, missions, and making disciples, over time would lose the conviction that Jesus was really God and Lord. They would lose the conviction that Jesus really rose from the dead. They would lose the convictions that Jesus really died on the cross. So for us as individuals, if we believe these things to be true, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus as Lord and God, we must have a desire to want to see the good news of Jesus shared in the world. We must have an awareness of the need to want to save people. Uh, we must be humbly praying to God for the salvation of people around us. And as a church, uh, we as a church need to have a culture of evangelism and missions where missions and evangelism must be a normal part of our church life. So in conclusion, I think one of the least things that we can do is to pray. So I'd like to commend to you this resource. I think I commended it to you before, uh, Operation World. Uh, I think for me, it's, it's, it's always been wonderful. Whenever I pray through Operation World, it opens my eyes to the needs of worldwide salvation. I pray for countries and people that I will never meet and never ever go to. It's full of, uh, you know, every information needed, like countries, like, uh, you know, every country in the world is represented there. And it's really helpful because as I pray, it's, uh, it's, it's really not self-interested prayer, prayer, right? I don't know these people. I'll never benefit from praying for them. If you don't want to buy the book, you can uh, download the app, Operation World, which again, every day will give you a different uh, country to pray for. It'll give you specific things you can pray for that country. Uh, you can even tap the button at the bottom right saying that you are praying and see who else is praying together with you. Okay, so I began by asking uh, the question, uh, why should we evangelize? Why should we share the gospel in a world which is pluralistic, in a world which values tolerance? And the reason is because of convictions, deep convictions, right? We must have deep convictions of the death of Jesus, deep convictions of the resurrection of Jesus, deep convictions of the divinity of Jesus as Lord and God. And so as we recognize these things, we worship God, but we also desire for people to come to know Jesus and to also be saved in Jesus just like we are. So let's go to God in prayer now. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you uh, for you are a God who has done real things in history real historical realities in history. You have broken into our history in Jesus Christ. We know as a historical truth that Jesus died on the cross. His death was witnessed by many, many hundreds and thousands of people and supervised by professionals who ensured his death. We know that he was buried in a tomb and sealed with a stone we know that he rose three days later on Sunday. Sunday morning, the tomb was empty and the angel was there to give testimony and Mary and the other Mary saw, heard and touched the resurrected Jesus. Dear Father, we believe therefore that Jesus is our Lord and God, that indeed he is the fulfillment of Daniel 7, that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And therefore, dear Father, because of those deeply held convictions, all of us 
I see the great need to go and to make disciples of all peoples. So dear Father, we pray that as we have held these deeply held convictions, we will desire to see people saved. We will desire to want to open our mouths and to tell people of the good news of Jesus Christ. We will humbly come before you in prayer and name for you people that we want to see saved and ask for opportunities that we can open our mouths to share with them. That as a church, we will have a culture of seeing the need to do evangelism and missions around the world around us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We will now have the time for a breakout room to discuss about what we learned in the sermon. So we can discuss about two questions. How important is missions and evangelism to Christians and why? And what do I need to work on to be partnering more in missions and evangelism? Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.